Hi, I'm Carissa Schlott. And I am Sharice Schlott. Welcome to Between Between Us, a podcast that highlights our relationship as sisters, providing a safe space to share our stories. These conversations highlight unity and connection, the through lines that connect all of us as human beings. Before we dive in, we would like to highlight that the views expressed in each episode are a product of our own research and experiences. Our opinions are not representative of any professional affiliations we may have. Episode 9. Fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. RBG! We're back again with just Chris and I. Sorry folks, no guests for you today. What? What? Today's conversation is centered around leadership, but before we get started, I wanted to share some other words that can be used interchangeably for leader or leadership, because it's not a word that everybody identifies with, although I would argue each one of us is a leader in our own right. So if the word leader doesn't land for you, please interchange with mentor, guide, parent, ally, influencer, friend, Human. Human. That's the word. So it might be interesting slash fun to start with our own leadership philosophies. And I would like to share mine, which is, of course, rooted in Eastern philosophy, also known as the Tao Te Ching, created by Lao Tzu. And it was created in the 6th century. But I was introduced to it by a mentor of my own who was introduced to it at the University of Toronto in a business class, which I thought was so amazing. But the thing I love and is the most beautiful about Eastern philosophy is that to be a leader is to be humble. So it's always about lowering yourself to the place of the common worker and leading within. And so that has always been my guiding principle. I've never felt comfortable or wanted to be in a place where I felt like I was on a pedestal or in a position of of power per se. I like to create camaraderie around leadership. I think that is such an important distinction and something that is very personal to each individual because I do think that there's sort of three elements of leadership. There is leading from within. Mm-hmm. There is leading people. And there is leading organization. And only each of us knows what feels right for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would argue that the best leaders know how to do all three. Mm. Can lead self, can lead others, can lead organization or lead change. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think I want to note too that that leadership can either be bottom up or top down. And I think traditionally what we've witnessed in systems is a top down leadership. Which is no longer working. (laughs) In my no. personal opinion. Not for me. I will own my own. That has not been something that has worked well for me or has felt good. It has felt like a restriction on my personal freedom and choice. I know we've talked about numerous times on the podcast, or I have, about for me a big change was stepping outside of the system because I kept becoming unwell within the system. And even being in a health-facing world where it's very client-centered and we're inspiring clients to connect with themselves, honor themselves, and 
I felt there was a lot of hypocrisy because the same was not implied for me as an employee. I was to put others above myself at the expense of myself. Yeah, and that's such a confusing message, especially in the health profession. So like you said, there's a disconnect between how you're expected to serve clients and how you yourself are treated as an employee. Yes. And so I didn't know how to function in that system for a long period of time. It was great for short periods of time, but then it would always lead to a health crisis, physical or mental. And I guess the learning for me in life has been to not let not let it get to the point where I am no longer able to function as an indicator that I need to make a change in my life. Hmm. So being a little bit more proactive about that. And I would argue that in today's society, where 35% of our workforce is comprised of millennials, the expectations of employers, I think, are shifting and changing. What matters to the to the new generation and to our new workforce is really like, do you see me? Do you care? Do you provide flexibility? Do your values align? Mm -hmm. What are the goals of your company? What kind of difference are you trying to make in the world? I view it as their expectations are of heart-centered, soul-centered leadership. And it's beyond, it's a serving mission which is beyond profit, which is beyond productivity. So that has to be the overarching value and the return to. Yes, that people are put first and profit second, people and making change in the world. Yes. And I think a really good advocate of that is Simon Simonick. Mm. He is Mm. trying to inspire a different form of organization and leadership. And I know there's other individuals that Carissa has found a good fit with. I think probably one of the most impactful leadership books that I've ever read is Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. And that is partly because it felt earth-shatteringly different from every other leadership book that I had read. And it also happens to be the first leadership book that I read that was written by a woman. Um, And so I would say a lot of Brene Brown's leadership philosophies is what I innately felt like my own leadership style, I saw myself in in the book. And what I loved so much about it is it gave me the language around how to express the kind of leader that I wanted to be. So I lead from a place of love is how I would describe it. Like you said, heart-centered. And that's, again, also connecting to looking within, connecting within, and then leading out that way. Yes. And I think so often how we are as a person is directly reflected in our leadership. So so I would describe my leadership as as being curious, leading from the heart, trying to model and encourage healthy striving, empathy and compassion, not putting, I guess, profits or being number one above people, practicing gratitude and showing appreciation, um, setting clear boundaries, trying to always see myself as a learner as opposed to trying to get it right. And just ultimately showing kindness, showing kindness and trying to always put people first. I want to unpack something like healthy striving. I don't know if I, in my paradigm, if that striving is healthy at all. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe it's even the word striving. Maybe that's what I have some difficulties with. 
I think it must be because to me, that's a very externalized word where it's about avoiding, dishonoring, moving outside of ourselves. Mm. And see, for me, striving is almost just like the action word of this is the collective vision, but it's just a vision unless we're also moving towards it. Okay. So I don't, I view it as a, yeah, more of an, an action or a movement type word as opposed okay. to. I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And there's something else that you said. Setting oh, boundaries. boundaries. It was the boundaries piece. And this is something that I think I also learned th- from Brene is that people who live very compassionate, heart-centered lives, very service-oriented, she said the ones that stay well are the ones that have the strongest boundaries. And that has really rung true to me because I think it goes against, um, I guess, what we've been taught to some extent as in any sort of feminine way is to always, again, put others above self, to be a martyr, essentially. Mm. And so that was the first time I heard something that contradicted, and in a scientific way, that contradicted the story that I had been told. And I think that's so true. Like if I'm reflecting on my own leadership, the times when I'm most unwell or most struggling is when I've not had enough boundaries. Mm-hmm. I've taken on too much. I've committed myself to, to too many people or too many places or to the wrong people and places. And then I start to become unwell. Mm-hmm. I think that's key. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's also, for especially for me, the hardest thing to implement. Because to do that, I have to honor the self first, which is difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's been something... I don't know if everybody's been taught that way or like if it's a uniquely feminine, I don't know if it's personality centered, who knows what exactly the root of that is. But given my paradigm of service, it's hard to say this is something I need. Yeah. And I think, so where we have a lot of similarities around our leadership philosophy is in that, in that servant leadership desire and that we're, we're both very kind and heart centered. What's interesting is how our own personalities and the way we do that is a bit different. So, for example, even in our childhood growing up, there was times where <laughs> I was I was described as a bossy child. There is a figure skating video where I am at the front of the line, looking back, <laughs> pointing my finger and waving it at the skaters behind me to stay in tune with the music. Um, so I've always been a bit more out loud, I guess, about my leadership yeah. style. And there's times as children where I would I would be the teacher, you would be the student. Always the slave. I, I would make the slave, you the slave. The servant. <laughs> <laughs> and how different types of leadership have worked for us. So in figure skating, as an example. Yes. What was the best type of coach or leadership style for you, sis? I was very anxious, very, very anxious, very perfectionistic always, and had immense fear around performance, performance pressure. And so the effective leader or coach for me was the one who was extremely calm, was reassuring, was gentle. Yep, not adding any more pressure because I was already putting the immense pressure on myself. It was basically like I needed a Zen master. Where I tend tend to tended to to thrive more with somebody who was a bit more not aggressive isn't the right word, but who was direct and honest and would make me laugh. Like even if they were kind of barking orders like bend your knee, 
please. Yes. It, to me, it was like a playful. And so it, it kind of got, got me out of my own head enough to just actually bend my knees. Krista liked, like, I think a very energetic type of leader. Mm. Well, and I did, it's just funny because I'm reflecting on moments in our past of inner figure skating. And I would be standing at the the boards while Krista's figure skating coach would be bobbing up and down at each movement with her and saying, bend your knees. And she was just doing it and mouthing it like the whole time Krista was skating. And it was entertaining for me then, but I don't think I looked at her when she was my coach once when I was performing because that would have put me over the edge. Would have stressed you out too much. Yeah. And then even how, like, in our own relationship. So as an example, one morning when we were getting ready to record a podcast, mm-hmm. we were coming up against a tight timeline for an appointment that Sharice had afterwards. And without, like, slowing down and, like, asking Sharice what she needed in that moment, I just took charge and said, well, we're going to have to bump that other appointment you have uh, cancel this. Let's go. Time to record. And it wasn't until after that I think both of us reflected on like how, yeah, just how our own sort of patterns and and styles and communication didn't work yeah. in that instance and what we could learn from it and do better next time. Yeah. And the funny thing is it doesn't matter how old we are, doesn't matter how much our relationship has changed. That situation immediately put me back to childhood and Krista being said leader boss and me being said servant and just being like, I went right back to those scenarios where I was like, oh yes, like I'll just do this thing silently. Yes. And what we're building here with our podcast is a sisterhood, Mm -hmm. is like true equality of thought, of power, of trying to elevate others around us. And instinctively, unfortunately, in that moment, I just took charge and didn't emulate that. So- Yeah, and to own my own piece in that, I defaulted to internalizing and not using my voice and not pushing back at all. Mm -hmm. Like, I I let Krista take charge in that situation. Yeah, which is very familiar for me to do. Yeah. Yeah. And at most times, I'm more than happy for her to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and what's so great about where we've come to in our relationship now is that we can talk about it. We can each see our own stuff in it. Yes. And move forward. And hopefully, if another situation like that arrives, it'll play out differently. And if not, we'll talk through it. Yeah. And I think that was the neat part is just the conversation that followed that situation was really unique and interesting and I realized how layered it was for me and not only our sisterhood. To me, it was a representation of my traumatic history with systems and institutionalization. I realized just how much of a wound that has been for me. In a power dynamic situation, how easily I give my power away because to survive in an institution, you have no other choice. And I think at the heart of it, it's like you were taught not to trust yourself. Yes, And just to note, I think I've said that it was a psychiatric institution because eating disorders are still treated from a mental health framework. So I don't know if it's changed because I haven't been an inpatient in many years, but it was very clinical, very pathologizing, very reward punishment centered. So to be open and transparent would mean more restrictions on freedom, would mean... You were punished for it almost. Yes, more medication... So I learned in that system to be subservient in order to get out of there sooner. Right. And I think this is also a roadblock that a lot of women face, whether you want to use the word leadership or whatever, is is in trusting that inner intuition and knowing and not being reprimanded for doing so. 
-hmm. Like to be able to fully show up as ourselves, our best selves, and to lead from a place of love and authenticity, it requires a lot of courage. (laughs) And until you've done the work on yourself, I think it's really hard to, to navigate that. Yeah. And I would say that's true for everyone because I think sometimes for men who have been so cultured and pushed so far away from that self that there's not even like I I feel like women because our intuition is our greatest gift and our our strongest guide we're always a little bit closer to that but men have Mm -hmm. been been pushed so far from that space that I don't even know if they fully know what that is Mm. it's a great point and the other thing we talked about too with systems is to be in a state, because we are both Caucasian, we have the privilege to even have a little bit of room to show up as our full self. Yes, 100%. Like whereas, it's a complete advantage and privilege. Yeah. Whereas others who are underprivileged, who are disenfranchised, it would not be safe for them to show up as their full self. Yeah. And so I, I think until that becomes a reality, our systems are not working. Yes. agree. And my mentor, Auntie Amy, she probably was the first woman I witnessed leading in such a counterintuitive way to what we've been told. And in many aspects, she really mirrored and emulated the feminism, the gentle, the warm, the trusting. But at the same time, it, it was very much this quiet humility And she led by full example. And I think she, like everything that she taught you, that is my hope for the leader of the future. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is going to lead out loud. And for me, it's always been more of a collaborative approach because I feel like I need a team to tackle anything. Mm. Well, if you even think about when change has historically happened, it doesn't happen with just the one. The change happens because of the many. Yes. Right? And being able to influence people towards a collective goal or change or vision. Yes. And and there's this saying in in Tao where they we say the one influences the two, the two influences the three, and the three influences all. Oh, that's beautiful. So it's just this multiplication of ah, and I want to say what what that is for me is the capacity and space for everyone to connect to their inner self. Whatever word you want to use, your true self, your Buddha nature, your intuition, whatever word you want to slap on that, it's allowing every person to connect with that and then use that as their voice and guide. Yes. And maybe it's even in reframing how we define leadership. Like when I was looking up synonyms for leadership, some of the things that came up were authority, control, influence, management and power. And I would argue that none of those words actually have anything to do with leadership. No. That is that to me, that is the system. That's the system's definition of leadership and why it's not working. Yeah. yeah. That is the system. Well, what is the system about? It's about authority. It's about control. It's about direction. It's about managing people to fit in this system in this box. And that makes me very angry, as yeah. you can tell. I got, little, I got a little passionate there. Because I believe in the exact opposite, essentially. Yep. <laughs> and the, the next point I wanted to make was when I feel, I get really frustrated with, and I know Chris and I have talked about this, when I'm seeing the world and the, the needle isn't moving almost, or it feels like it's going backwards at times, or I'm like wondering, 
where the hell are we? What are we doing here? I asked Auntie Amy about this the other day, and she said to me, the ignorant and the enlightened mind are the same. The only difference is timing. Hmm. And to me, that just gave me, I took some of that angst away because I remembered, oh, yes, we are all the same. Hmm. We are all born of the same. We all die of the same. The only difference is is the timing within that time frame. So what you're saying is that both the enlightened and the ignorant both arrive. It's just on their own time. Yes. That everybody gets there in their own time. Yes. And that's so hopeful to me too because part of what what I feel disenfranchised about at times is that humanity is not learning from our past mistakes and that we're not... <laughs> That we're not all gonna get there. Yes. Um, so that gives me gives me faith, I guess, that you're right, we're all all of one and that we'll all eventually arrive on our own time when we're meant to. And the other part about that is I always think, okay, so that might even take I this is also founded in my Eastern belief, but that might take many lifetimes. Mm, that's because cool. I don't think we all figure it out in this lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And in the system that I am in, um, just as an example, I when I look up, I see approximately 20% women in leadership and 0% people of color in leadership. And so I also struggle because my, my belief in leadership being a reflection of the community that we serve. Um, and I so wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly believe that it's only when diverse perspectives are included and respected and valued that we can actually start to get a full picture of the world and who we are meant to serve. Um, and so I love in um, Dare to Lead, Brene Brown talks about this, uh, that Beyonce in one of her Vogue issues said, if people in powerful posi- positions continue to hire and cast only people who look like them, sound like them, come from the same neighborhoods they grew up in, they will never have a greater understanding of experiences different from their own. They will hire the same models, curate the same art, cast the same actors over and over again, and we all lose. The beauty of social media is it's completely democratic. Everyone has a say, everyone's voice counts, and everyone has a chance to paint the world from their own perspective. And so what I wanted to say about this is if you look up, if you look around you, and you don't see somebody who looks or sounds or thinks like you, then that is exactly where you're meant to be. The end. And I, I, I it's just so hard because I think... To myself, you know, I don't have intergenerational trauma around the system. Like the system for me is unique from my own personal experiences. So I don't even know how people of color or Indigenous folk, FNMI, First Nations, how how do they even step into a system that has historically worked against them and traumatized them? Like, I don't even know. I'm just trying to like put myself in their shoes. I think the only way that it's safe is if they have a leader or a mentor or somebody that they can rely on that is vulnerable and open to listening to them and hold space for them and guide them or shelter them from some of the systemic issues. And this is where it'll be nice to have, I guess, that can speak to this. I don't know. And maybe, but maybe that's also part of my privilege is I can step outside the system because I have the support of my parents that I can step outside of that system. Whereas there's not even a choice for some people. This is where I love what Abby Wambach, I think she shared about this in her and Glennon Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things, that 
maybe instead of trying to like force room at a table for there to be, you know, historically two out of the 10 chairs set aside for women, maybe one of those for a person of color, like maybe instead of trying to make five chairs at the table, we just start building our own tables. Yeah. And I think that is a reflection of hopefully what we're doing here. I was thinking about that. We are trying to be conscious about being very representative of our topics, of our guests. But the funny thing is, we're highlighting mostly women Mm -hmm. and hopefully more people of color, different backgrounds. And that's it's just interesting to me because because we're female-led, that's the narrative we're creating. And that's not effort, really. Yeah, and, and I think I thought about that, that a lot as well. But I think historically, because so few women's stories have been shared, yes. that I'm just trying to create some kind of balance. So for the next little while, I yeah. am fine if same. all we feature is women. Because, yeah, same. That's what I'm because saying. Because systemically and historically, our voices, our perspectives have completely been absent from literature, from research, from storytelling. Yes. And so it's time for change. I agree. I don't even know where to go from there. We got nothing. That's that's (laughs) right there. That's we said it all, folks. Take it in. I did want to highlight something that I have found helpful for my own leadership. I always in the past struggled with what language to use. Yes. In having tough conversations or in having what Brene calls like rumble conversations or, or vulnerable open conversations where there's some conflict or challenge because I wanted to be able to articulate my voice and to kind of stand my own ground, but I wanted to do it in a way that didn't hurt the other person or that at least used words that were not intentionally harmful. And so what I love about Dare to Lead as an example is Brene gives some examples of what language to use. I can start with some of them. Like, tell me more. I'm curious to hear your perspective on that. What did you mean by that comment? I know this is a tough conversation. Being upset is okay, but yelling is not. Or I know that we're both tired and stressed. This has been a long meeting, conversation. Being frustrated is okay, but interrupting people and rolling your eyes is not okay. So it's kind of like just setting clarity of like, I understand and I appreciate that we both have passion around this topic. (laughs) Here's what's okay to do. Here's what's not okay to do. Here's what I expect someone to treat me like. Here's how I expect someone to communicate with me. And I think that's really helpful. Yeah. And I guess from my counseling perspective, I, I use this in my personal life too. It's pointing out the un, the discomfort. Yes. It's always pointing that out and not in a judgmental way. It's in a neutral way. Even if there's a pause where everybody's feeling angst, I would just say even this feels uncomfortable. So I name the, the unspoken feeling, the unspoken action. I name that. Oh, it's so good. And that, I think that's what she's getting at there. It's not It's not written out that way, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure that's what it's meaning. It's saying, this is what's difficult. This is what's uncomfortable. And I'm I'm going to bring it to light. Yes. I'm just acknowledging that this is this is not a, this is an uncomfortable conversation yes. or an un- uncomfortable topic. Yes. Because I think what happens is we're all tiptoeing around the thing that's uncomfortable and then it gets escalated and then everybody's now doing this weird dance of still tiptoeing around that, ignoring what's really true. Yeah. It gets really messy. Yeah. And that's and that hard takes to do. a lot of courage. I know. I was just going to say that's, it's brave. It's hard to do, especially when you're worried that it's going to create more conflict or Which that that might. might. Yeah. <laughs> but then there it is. There's, there's the reason you were afraid to say it. You, you knew how that person was going to react. And there, they just showed you. They yeah. showed you in that moment 
who they were. Yep. Maya Angelou. Yep. When people show you who they really are, believe them the first time. Yeah, I'm slow with that lesson. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I, I also want to say I am by no means perfect at doing that. I am the antithesis of that. But even if I don't do it or do honor the thing in the moment, I revisit it. Mm. And so I think that's the important thing to not create compounded wounding. Yeah. Is you have to return to that situation in some shape or form and find a way to reclaim yourself or your connection to self. Ooh. And even to redefine something about yourself. Because there there are times where this is, I think, again, where things like leadership, where all of a sudden you're put on a, a pedestal, so to speak, and you're expected to uphold this unrealistic uh, level of, what am I trying to get at? Well, it's not even, you can't even be a human in that. Right. There's no room for us to be humans, but everybody is a human. Everybody makes mistakes. Every every mentor eventually lets somebody down. Yes. Um, and so this idea that even our own definitions of leadership can change and evolve. Yes. And I think, that in fact, they have to. Yes. Chris and I were talking about this because we were in a very deep conversation about leadership. And I'm just pulling up the quote. I This is by Charisse, this quote, everyone. <laughs> oh, gee. Yep. Others will inevitably disappoint us, and we will inevitably disappoint others. Ding, ding, ding. And I think this happens in any relationship. We view the other as a projected version of what we want that other to be. Mm -hmm. Instead of seeing that or recognizing this is a human, a flawed human, we are all flawed humans. And so it's very illusion shattering when that person fails to meet our projected standard. Or when they change and evolve. Yes. And then we, we're still clinging to how we want them to be for us. Yes. Rather than just seeing like, oh, that person is changing and evolving. And it can be in the same direction as you are, or sometimes it can be in a different direction than, than you are. And yes. that's okay too. This is actually very crucial. And this is something that I've had a hard time grasping in my life, which I'm hopefully learning through struggle. <laughs> <laughs> But it is that very thing. And maybe this is something that was misleading about growing up in a really small, tight community, close-knit community where you have to save face to maintain certain relationships is I did not understand that relationships, like you said, evolve over time and they may come and go. Because mm -hmm. in that environment, they had to somehow remain and be forced. Yep. And so as I've stepped outside of that, I've had a really hard time reconciling that even friendships may come and go. Yes. And you and like and to view it not as like a, a loss or a sadness, but as like a as, as a flow almost. Like yes. it's like they're flowing in a river and they're they might be flowing further away from you, but and maybe they'll flow back towards you and maybe they won't flow back towards you. Yes. But it's not something that's like wrong with you that that's happening. Like that that's just natural and normal. Yeah. And true for every relationship. And for me, I think this comes down to permission. So Ooh. permission of the self to let something go. Because I think there's that nagging should. I should maintain this friendship. This is what being a good friend means. Whatever and whatever Ooh. relationship you and, assign that and to. Like, and that's because like I should always be loyal. I'm not yes. a loyal person. Uh, good, good time. I'm not a loyal person if I'm not finding a way to force this friendship to keep working. And that, what does that say about me and my loyalty? Yes. Beautiful. Okay. This is, and this is where Esther Perel says, were you raised for loyalty or were you raised for autonomy? Ding, ding, ding. And both Chris and I, I think clearly we were raised for loyalty. Yes. 
Not autonomy. <laughs> yes. So this is probably why we have a difficult time with the evolution of relationships. And the question that I keep coming back to for myself is, who are you loyal to? Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. Journal, do some journaling around that one. You some interesting things will come up. Yeah. And okay, now this is another layer of that is if if we want to honor ourselves, there's always a conflict between mind, heart, and gut. Yep. And so you have to also decide, get really granular about what aspect of the self you're going to listen to. Hmm. Because they can all tell you very different things. That's a good point. And that's very confusing. Yes. And I, sorry, I have no answer for that. No, I it's don't just, either. <laughs> and maybe that's part of navigating struggle. Well, and the only answer for me, the only thing I can really do to help get clarity is to get still. Yep. Is to get quieter. Like I know even for myself, I have a few days off work coming up and I had the thought, maybe I should go for a tranquility float, tranquility float center, where you're basically locked into a bathtub with your own thoughts. And I've been scared to do that because mm. I'm scared to face the reality of what I know is probably coming. I'm scared to hear the thoughts that I probably have been trying to avoid because that to me is where the clarity comes is when I'm still with myself. Yes. And this, I think, has been the real issue or the real challenge with the pandemic. We all have a forced, we all had, or maybe maybe still have, a forced stillness. And I don't think we've been set up very well to manage that no. or to even be in that space. Well, and even in to integrate the world before and the world now, right? So now we've all had this stillness. We've all had this break, this time break, uh, not a fun break, but um, this point in time where we were forced to kind of reflect on our lives. And so we're trying to integrate what was and what is and what kind of world we want for the future. And there, and it's still so uncertain. Mm -hmm. And I, I suppose I want to be inclusive of those that really struggled in the stillness that maybe mm -hmm. had to turn to substances that had to turn to destructive behaviors, whatever that is. I understand that it is so difficult when you have been trained. Everything about our society at this moment is to not be with yourself. And so it's so hard to go from one extreme to the other. Yeah, that's a great point. We didn't have any transition into that. And so if this was excruciating for you, I understand. Yeah, same. And I mean, I experienced it myself too. Like I for the first time in over a decade, had eating disorder thoughts, mm. which had nothing to do about my body. They yeah. were just there because I was scared and I didn't feel like there was any control. Yeah. So yeah, I think a lot of people, most of us probably had some level of, of struggle and destructive behavior. Yeah. And this is where I felt so grateful that I have had many, many failures in life where to the point where I had to sit with the stillness. Mm. I've had many, 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 many opportunities in life and it's never been easy. But this last time, because I have already built my life in a way that's actually not that different from the pandemic, yeah. <laughs> that it didn't feel like too much of a transition mm. for me. It was like just a continuation of what I was living. Mm. And so I felt very fortunate. I felt like I had been prepared for that scenario <laughs> because I was like basically living in that already. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess to some extent, we're like you said, we're trying to navigate our way out of that now. But I do hope there isn't a full return to what once was. Mm -hmm. Me too. Otherwise, like what was it all for, right? Like I, 
this is my eternal optimist, but I, I always think not necessarily that things happen for a reason, but there's something that can be learned from every situation. Yes, there is. Whatever narrative we want to create or however we want to, whatever perspective we want to hold of that situation. Mm -hmm. And that's uniquely up to you, how you want to define that situation. Yep. But know that you have the authority to do that. Because I know sometimes we can feel powerless in in where life takes us or what's happening to us. Uh, yes. And so how do you get your power back, right? Like yes. What, what choice do you have? It's Yes, it's exactly in the meaning you want to assign to that and the story you want to tell about that. Mm. I'm going to end with one more Brene Brown quote. When we have the courage to walk into our story and own it, we get to write the ending. So I think that kind of sums up what you were saying there about like, what power do we have to change your control and what do you want your ending to be? Yeah, exactly. I think that control is a complete illusion. Mm -hmm. And so I think the only element that we can have some influential role in is our narrative. Yeah. And who do you want to be? Yeah. That's the only thing that gets me through every day. (laughs) 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 So thanks for listening to our our antics. Hi, my name is Bodhi. I hope you stay safe. Hi, my name is Gabe. I hope you have a great day. Audio production by Joel Vargasi at Lewis Studios.